This morning we're concluding our series on heaven, hell, and everything in between, and we're continuing with it uh, and concluding it with the topic of heaven. Heaven is one of those topics that many of us have heard of, many of us have at least thought of, many of us maybe have wondered and had ideas as to what heaven is like. And so when I say the word heaven, there's a good chance that there's some imagery that comes to mind for you. Most of us have had some kind of picture in our head as to what heaven, this place some of us will go when we die, is like. Some of us have had these ideas of pearly gates. We've heard that one before, where there's these pearly gates at the entrance of heaven, and you will walk through those pearly gates to get to heaven. And there is some biblical reasoning for that image, and we'll explore that as well. But we also had other ideas around uh, there are multiple levels to heaven. There's this image here from... Gustave Doré, that's based on uh, Dante's Paradise, Paradiso, uh, part of his Dante's Divine Comedy, where he discusses the ideas of heaven and hell and the stuff in between. And it has this idea that there are multiple levels to heaven. Again, there might be a little inkling of scripture in there, but not so much in some ways. And they're in these different realms, in these spiritual heavenly realms, there are different things going on. And most of us, when we think of heaven, we have some idea of it being up there in the clouds. And we look at a painting like Raphael's, and you can see this imagery of this heavenly court happening in the sky and the ordinary people in the bottom. Or we can look at some of the paintings in the Sistine Chapel, and we look at what Michelangelo did on the next image. <laughs> there you go. Where you see all these heavenly beings at work, and it's always in the sky, it's up there, it's in the clouds. And so a lot of us have these ideas about heaven, about heaven being up there in the clouds. And there's some good reason for why we have that idea, but there also might be some confusion on to what it really is. What I hope to do this morning with you, whether you're uh, here with us or whether you're watching online, is what I hope to do is explore some of the biblical understandings of what heaven is and also try and clarify that some of our ideas might be more based on popular media. When I say popular media, I mean art from the Middle Ages as well as movies of today and not so much based on Scripture. Because there's been a period of time where some of our views and our understandings of the Bible, of God, of heaven, have actually been based on other things other than Scripture, and we are not always assured or sure as to why that might be. For the sake of this morning, and this has been the, my point for this series, is I have a simple definition as to what heaven is. Uh, and heaven is simply where God is. Heaven is where God is. That's kind of my working definition as to what or where heaven is. And I'll explain more as to why I have that perspective as we discuss this morning. But when we look at this idea of heaven, uh, there's a history in which many of us might not be aware of how our views have changed over time. There's a book that came out a few years ago, I think it was the early 2000s, called Heaven, A History. Uh, and in this book, uh, the authors explore that there have been a shift over time in what the views of heaven, this place we say we go and we die, is like. And there are two main views throughout history that have been used by, I'm speaking just of the Christian church, I'm not so concerned about other beliefs right now, 
uh, but just within the Christian church as to what is the focus or what is the purpose of heaven. The first one we look at is a theocentric view. Theo means God or theology, so thoughts about God. Centric being centered, like focused on, so it's focused on God, uh, which sounds pretty understandable when it comes to talking about heaven. And this type of view is actually a more current view than the other one. This view kind of has this idea that heaven will be this place where we go when we die that is usually viewed as up there somewhere. And it's about worshiping God. It's about being present with God. It's about God being present with you. And there's some very real truth to that. But it's become a more popular idea in later centuries as opposed to earlier centuries. In earlier centuries, there was another view which was considered a kingdom-centric view. And by kingdom-centric, I mean that there was this idea that God is king, which is one of the key themes that comes up throughout Scripture, that God is king and that we are in relationship to this king, and our view of heaven is the place where God is king. And as his subjects, servants, we are participating in that kingdom. So these are two different views that have a lot in common and not necessarily going to be that dissimilar, but there are two different views that have taken different shapes throughout history. Around the 4th or 5th century, the theocentric view became much more popular. And as it became popular, we would see art uh, popping up, whether it's paintings or carvings or different things, where it was about in the clouds, it was about God on his throne, which is a very scriptural, Bible-based idea. But it was always about going to heaven. Whereas the kingdom-centric point of view was earlier centuries, and what I would say is more of what Bible, uh, Jesus talks about in the Bible, And it was more about what does God's kingdom look like here and now and for eternity. And so there are different perspectives on that. Now, when it comes to the ideas of heaven and this theocentric view or this kingdom-centric view, which I know might be a little bit confusing at times, there's a lot of reasons why it is confusing. And there's a lot of reasons why our imagery that we're familiar with uh, comes from places like in art or in media that gives us picture of beauty, of pearly gates, of clouds, of those sorts of things. And it's because there are passages in Scripture throughout the Bible that give us these pictures. And these pictures, sometimes we take them to be literal, and maybe they weren't necessarily meant to be as literal as sometimes we take them. But rather, they're meant to give us a picture of how good something could be. They would use language to help us understand how good something was as opposed to the specifics of what it was. One example would be in Revelation 21, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Revelation 21, verses 18 to 21, uh, it says this, uh, speaking of the eternal city, the world to come, and we'll get into that. It says, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated of every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. 
The great city, the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. So this idea of pearly gates, streets of gold, this is where it comes from. It's a very scriptural image. But sometimes we need to look at these images and try to understand, well, is that really what it's like? So just imagine with me that there is a city where the streets are pure gold floating in the sky. Most of us are familiar with gravity, and we know that doesn't work so well. Is it really about gold streets? Is it really about gates that are made of a single pearl? Can you imagine how big that pearl must be to make 12 gates, you know, each gate of a single pearl? Is it literally what it is? Or is it imagery used by God through the people who wrote the scripture, John, who we know of, given this vision to show how wonderful something is? Not necessarily the specifics of it, but to get your imagination going, saying this is better than you could imagine. That's where I would lean. That's where I would say my view is on some of these passages. Another passage that comes up is in Jesus' words himself in John's gospel. In John 14, he says this in verses 1 to 3. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus' description to his followers, to the people who he loved, he says, I am preparing a place for you where my father is, where God is, and there's many rooms. That's taken some people to imagine a mansion. That there's this giant mansion with tons of rooms and all the people are in the rooms. That might not be what it really is. Most of us would say, well, actually, that's a figurative picture. So it's a figurative that everybody is welcome, that there is a house, there is space for everybody. No one's going to be turned away. Not necessarily that there is actually a literal house with a lot of rooms. Jesus is giving this picture of what heaven is like, and it's a place where there's space for everyone if they want it. And it's like you're a family. It's like a house where we live together. It's not a literal house, because if it was, then it might not go so well with the imagery that comes up in Revelation. There are different images getting used at different times by different speakers, different authors, to describe how amazing it is, not necessarily exactly what it is. When I look to Scripture, when I look to discover, to learn, to figure out what heaven is, it's important for me, and hopefully for you as well, to try and look at it as a whole. We've talked before here, if you've come to Bromley for a while, or if you've watched online, that it's not isolated stories that are occurring, but everything is connected in Scripture purposefully, that God is unfolding a story, and it starts in the beginning, and it ends in the end, and we get to play a part of it just outside of what's written. And so in this unfolding story in Scripture, there's a unifying idea as to what heaven is, in my view. And it starts right at the beginning. And it starts in Genesis 1 with these words, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of this idea of heaven. For some of us, we look at that and we can say, well, he means sky, or he means heaven, heaven, the place where God is. And that's caused a lot of confusion throughout history because the words that get used for sky or up there is the same word that gets used for where God is in Scripture. So it's caused us that confusion of thinking of in the clouds when we think of heaven sometimes. But the beginning of the story of the Bible is that God created, and if we read through all of Genesis 1, the common statement that gets made is when God created, it was good. If we read through that, every stage of creation, however creation came about, God created and it was good. Then we get into the story of this place called the Garden of Eden. And this place, Garden of Eden, is perfection. It's the goodness of God where God is with people, and people are living in harmony with each other, with creation, with God. And these relationships are all functioning well, and everything is perfect. But people make a decision to ignore God's instruction. And because of that, everything gets messed up. This is where sin enters the picture, where things are no longer the way they're supposed to be. So this perfect place where God was with people, where creation and people were harmonious with each other and with God, this perfect place they are kicked out of and they don't go back in. The whole of the story of Scripture, in my opinion, is trying to get back to Eden. It's all about people trying to get to that place where we are in right relationship with God, with creation, and with each other. And to me, that is heaven. In fact, I think that's what Scripture will point to as you follow through the whole of it. When you get to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is this unfolding imagery that's strange for most of us. But in chapter 21, it gives this picture of what will be as well as some of what is. And in chapter 21, verse 1, it starts like this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. When we hear those words or we read them on the screen or if you're reading from a Bible yourself, when we read those words, what most of us think is that there's something brand new. Something out of nothing, something that was not there before. And what was there is no longer there. But these terms, the term in particular for new, might not actually mean that. In the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, there are two words that get used in Greek for new. One is neos, and this means like something brand new. Like you've never had a car, now you have a brand new car. It's new. Or it means that it's something out of nothing. It's new. It's that a uh, substantive change has occurred and something is new. So there's a new thing. Most of us, when we think of the word new, this is what we think of. So when we read Revelation, it says there's a new heaven and a new earth. We're thinking there's a new substance. There's a new thing, like a new car or a new carpet or a new shirt. But that's not the word that gets used. The word that gets used is kainos. And this word kainos, while it means new, it means new in quality, not in substance. So let's say you had an old car, and you're restoring that car. And when you're 
cleaning off all the rust. You're taking the seats out. You're replacing the seats. You maybe even changed the engine. You're all done. It's beautiful. It's shiny. It's new. But it's not really new. It's restored. The word that gets used for a new heaven and new earth is a word that means restored. Not something out of nothing or something like nothing was, but it's a change in quality, not in substance. So when John is given this vision that from the sky there is new heavens and new earth coming, he's not saying it's like nothing we've ever seen before. He's just saying it's even better than what we've seen. And it's a lot like it. John's going to continue, and we'll read through this. So, start again in verse 1. So, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, keeping in mind that word kainos. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Then, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So God is giving this vision to John, and it's a vision of perfection. That what he experienced in his life, what we experience in our life, is fleeting. It's failing. It's not perfect. But the world to come, which is about a kingdom-centric idea of heaven, isn't to say that everything here is washed away and we start fresh. It's about a renewed, restored world based on God's original design of perfection. The vision of heaven that's given right here is that there's a brand new Kainos, brand new, unity with God and his people, and they live in harmony together. It's bringing back the purpose of the original statement that God had with people, to be united with them, with creation, to be in harmony, to be in covenant, is the word that gets used in the Bible. This image that gets used throughout the scriptures is that we're always trying to get back to this place that's Eden, that things are harmonious, that things are in relationship, that things are good. And that is the picture of scripture of what heaven will be like. That for those of us who enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus who died for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we who were not in right relationship with God can be made in right relationship with him. So we, even though we might not recognize that we do anything wrong, are disconnected from God because of that original reality that people chose to go their own way from Eden. And Jesus has made a way for us to restore that relationship in him alone. 
And it's in him that we can enter into this city that is described as streets of gold, pearly gates, emeralds on buildings. A place more amazing than anything we can imagine when we are entering into this kingdom where God is king and we are living in it. It's an invitation through scripture to see that heaven is, yes, a place you go when you die because there's a sense of eternity, but there's also a reality to it now that when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to accept him as Lord, to come to him, to see him as king, we live in a world that is being made new. And ultimately, it's only God who will completely restore everything, but we are to be participating in heaven now as well as our hope for our future. We're constantly desiring, whether we recognize it or not, we're constantly desiring to get back into that right relationship with God, which stems into a right relation with all of his creation and each other. And as we're trying to do that, as we're trying to move into that, it only happens when we come to Christ and through Christ work to make it real. Because he's done the real work, the heavy lifting. He's the one who's forgiven us through his death and resurrection. And because of that, we can participate in what he's doing in the here and now with the hope for our future. When scripture speaks of heaven, it isn't so much an escape to a place up in the clouds when you die. Though there is speak of an eternal destination to be where God is, it also includes a concept, an idea of participating in heaven now as God is at work in this world. For those of us who are familiar with Scripture, who maybe have been Christians for a long time, or maybe we just went to Catholic school, we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. A key point of the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A key understanding that Jesus had that when we go to God is that we pray and we seek for him to guide us and how we be human here, because that is the work of heaven here. If what I believe is a very simple definition, but it's true, is that heaven is where God is, then heaven can be anywhere temporarily where we are participating in what he's invited us into. There is an eternal side to it. There is a what is the life to come, which would be the language that gets used by the people in Scripture and the people of the Scripture's time, of the life to come. But there's also the life now. And the question of Scripture isn't so much about the life to come, but what does it mean to be part of that kingdom now as we live our lives daily, walking this earth that's not perfect, that's full of pain, it's full of suffering, it's full of sorrow and diseases, What does it mean to be people who are heavenly-minded in the sense that we are followers of that king and living today like he is king? The biblical picture of heaven is broader 
than just where we go when we die. It's about what we do now while we're alive. My prayer is that as we explored these topics of heaven and hell and everything in between, maybe some of our perspectives were challenged a little. Maybe our ideas were challenged to look at Scripture more as opposed to just what we've been told or what we've been taught or what we've seen on TV or in movies. And that through that, we can see more and more what God has always been inviting us into or inviting us back to, which was a right relationship with him, with all of creation, and with each other. That's God's invitation for all of us. And it's that little glimpse of heaven now when we work to live like it every day. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are God, and that I am not. That even in my best of ideas, in my uh, desires, they're never as good as yours. And that you've planned long ago for people to be in a relationship with you. And that you've made us for this relationship. That you created us in this sense of perfection, of this paradise of Eden and yet we still didn't listen to you. And that even though we didn't listen to you long ago, and we still don't today sometimes, God, you made a way for us to be back in a right relationship with you. And that Jesus, through you, we can know God and be known by God in ways we can never do on our own. That through you, we have forgiveness. Even when we don't fully understand what we may need it for, you offer it to us as a gift. And we just need to come to you to accept that and to bring to you what we need to confess. Jesus, you've made a way for us to be in this right relationship with all that you've made. And I pray that as we seek to live our lives with heaven in mind, maybe, We choose every day to make choices that reflect a relationship with you, a desire for a good relationship with all you've created and with each other. And that we see the actions associated with the prayer, Jesus, you taught us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that our actions meet that prayer and we choose to live a life that reflects you in all ways we can. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning for those of us who are here, for those of us who are watching online, whether it's live or later on, that we open our hearts to heaven. We open our minds to the possibility that there is an eternity that is better than anything we can ever imagine. And that we can only enter it through you, Jesus. But we can participate in it now by living like you, Jesus. And that is a gift. I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.